Hi, my name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Monmouth Moms podcast, part of the Monmouth Moms Network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mammoth Moms podcast. We are here today at Belt Works, and um, so for me, January usually in most years has been very like long. And I keep seeing like on social media, they're like it's January forty fifth, and I can kind of relate. But for some reason, this year I don't know why January like flew. I don't know if it's because we're busier. There was like snow last week, and it's just been like. Like the first couple of weeks were a fog, but it's been very, it's like next week is February, which is crazy. Um, and I also don't know if that's like something about getting older and just they say that like because it's it's more about perspective. Like when things, when time goes by more quickly, it's because you have like more years behind you. Like when you're a kid and like you're waiting for like summer to come, it takes like forever because you don't have like the same perspective about how quickly time goes by. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it does feel like Time is just racing by. I don't know why. But anyway, we're here um, at Bellworks. Um, we are getting ready for all kinds of fun spring events. So um, I'm actually going to be doing a special podcast uh, about the Mammoth Mom Summit that's coming up in April 11th, um, coming soon to just kind of discuss a little bit more at length about um, our mission, about our panelists, speakers. I'm really excited about um uh, the summit and all of the incredible women that are coming together to make this event um, uh, really special. So uh, look for that soon. Um, but today we have a very special guest. I'm so excited to discuss um, everything. We, we were just kind of chatting in, in the lobby here. So Dr. Mon, thank you so much from um, Juvenate Medical Wellness and Rejuvenation Center and thank West Long you. Branch and also Tom's River. Correct. Yes, I have uh, two locations. Um, thank you for, for joining. You are a functional medicine doctor. Um, tell me where you're from. So I grew up in Edison um, in New Jersey, uh, Jersey girl born and bred. Um, I went to J.P. Stevens High School, graduated from there, and then went to Rutgers uh, for undergraduate. Um, went to medical school also in New Jersey at Robert Wood Johnson Medical oh. School. And then did my residency in Newark at UMDNJ and then my fellowship in neuroradiology at Mount Sinai in New York. So after that, I came back to Jersey for my first job and um, practiced neuroradiology for many years, which is completely unrelated to what I do now. <laughs> so that's nice. You didn't have to... Um do any, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but you stayed pretty much in the tri-state area throughout yes. the entire, because that's not always the case. Sometimes, they do, you know, you do a fellowship in a completely different part of the, the country, depending on, I guess, what you get accepted into. I actually uh, was planning to do my fellowship in California and uh, found out I was pregnant right before I was supposed to leave. Okay. And then decided I want to be near my parents and my mom can help with the baby and all those things. So it completely changed the plans and I ended up in, in New York instead. Oh, very nice. Uh, so where did you practice um, in the early stages of your um, uh, uh, of being a doctor? I was up north in the uh, Somerset, uh, Somerville area, mm -hmm. um, and uh, with Associated Radiologists. It's a big radiology group up there. Um, and then I moved down to Tom's River and was practicing radiology down in that area um, until 2000. 
well, 2013, when I had my anaphylactic reaction to contrast while I was doing the procedure on a patient and had a very, very severe reaction that ended up in the ICU, intubated for weeks. Um, and uh, when I got out of there, we decided, my husband and I, that I think, you know, me being around uh, is a lot more important than continuing yeah. my, my, my radiology um, field. So um, I ended up uh, stopping uh, radiology completely at that point. Um, I, I could have done some of it from home, um, you know, read remotely, but I was a procedure person. That was always something that I loved to do. And so when that wasn't an option anymore, um, I sort of pivoted and said, I have to do something else with my life. I actually thought I was done working at that point and just thought, let me get my health back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being in the ICU intubated, um, as we mentioned earlier, is, is takes such a toll on your body and the muscle loss and wasting that happens so quickly, regardless of your age, is astounding, actually. I, I was shocked to even see the difference in what two weeks of lying in bed, you know, and doing nothing can do to your body. Wow. So just trying to find my own way back to health was a journey for me. And um, the way that I discovered functional medicine, I'd never heard of it before. 2013 was my first exposure to even those words. And um, I went to this conference in New York about, it was a wellness integrative health conference. And there were some booths there. Um, One was from the Institute for Functional Medicine, Mm -hmm. the IFM, which is one of the big functional medicine um, organizations. And so um, there were a lot of physicians that were in, uh, you know, part of that organization. And um, they uh, so I liked that it was very scientific based and and, uh, we they, they presented data and studies and all those things that, you know, physicians like to look at to make sure that whatever they're learning makes sense and and has data behind it. And so I um, joined the organization, did my training through them, and then got certified through them as well. So, um, you know, a lot of people practice functional and integrative medicine. I I think um, the certification adds something to it just in terms of some basic knowledge that you make sure, you know, that um, a provider or a doctor that you're seeing has, um, which I think is important. Um, And so after that, in 2015, I opened my practice uh, in West Long Branch and um, started seeing patients. um, And I love it. I, you know, I never thought I'd end up from radiology to functional medicine, but um, big change. But, you know, what I really, what I find I like about it is is that it is data driven uh, to a big um, big degree, meaning I don't like to guess on what's going on with people. I like to test and try to figure out what's happening based on their symptoms. Um, I had, you know, I find that people can have very similar symptoms, but different causes for those symptoms. Mm-hmm. So just going by symptoms and trying to treat that is just not the way to treat the whole person. And so I do blood testing. I do a lot of stool testing. I do hormone testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that forms the basis of any patient that comes in to try to figure out what's going on. Um, I mainly see women, you know, probably 95% of my practice is women. And um I, and it's not by by accident, probably just because I, I relate more to them. And I also have gone through a lot of the same things that women that are seeing me are going through. So, um, you know, uh, hormonal issues, weight concerns, um, thyroid fatigue, um, you know, chronic headaches, a lot of the symptoms that people come in and say, I went to my primary doctor and, you know, they gave me this pill and it's it's helping, but I, then I had these side effects. I'm not really feeling great still. Right. Um, so we try to look, I try to look at the whole person. Gut health is such a big, big part yeah, of I'd any- Yeah, to learn more about that. You know, Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so let me ask you, did, did the, when you were in med school, I, I had a dietitian on the, pre- on the podcast once and we, I think this came up a little bit about 
how many phys- physicians go through med school and they really only take one nutrition course. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, linking between diet and nutrition and, you know, what your action and how that's impacting your overall health, right? Depending on now you were a radiologist and maybe that wasn't something that was, that came up a lot in terms of, you know, treating your patients as different, um, you know, different pra- uh, medicine practice. But do you, have you found that that's shifting now? So my daughter is a second year medical student. She's in school in Philly. And so far, their nutrition training is non-existent. Interesting. I'm hoping that in third and fourth year of medical, she's a second year. So she's, you know, just doing basic classes right now. A little bit of patient exposure, but third and fourth year are really where they get the patient exposure. So I'm hoping things have changed now. Um, What I hear, though, from recent graduates is nutrition is still not the priority that it should be in medical school. And I think that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's criminal. It's so <laughs> I, it's, bizarre. It's bizarre to me that that's not, you know, because as I, I think we, we spoke earlier about the fact that if you can get your nutrition, your sleep, some of the basic things, exercise, hydration on track, you're already, you know, more than 50% of the way to good health. So right. I think that's where we get derailed. And if we don't focus up back on those basics, we're never going to feel better if we don't also incorporate those things. So yeah. it should be a bigger part of our training. And I don't know why it's not. If I had to, you know, help plan a curriculum for medical students, I would absolutely include nutrition and sleep as, you know, two really big aspects. Yeah. Um, if you had someone that was, you know, going to a cardiologist and they were, you know, obese and they had all these health issues and they just kind of give them a pill to reduce their blood pressure and stuff, it just, that's kind of just how it, it seems like it's always been treated and not like looking at the overall patient. So with that, let's get into what um, functional medicine actually is. So functional medicine um, or integrative medicine, a lot of people use those terms interchangeably, which they really are, are, are a little bit different, but they both, uh, both fields look at the whole person. So when you, when I, when I have a patient, for instance, a, a middle-aged woman that walks in, um, complaint of fatigue, maybe some hair loss, you know, uh, feel like, um, just, uh, don't get a good night's sleep, uh, feel tired the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do a full assessment. So we do a, a big sleep assessment, um, as well as nutrition, um, at, because those are such a big part of somebody's, um, actually their, their good health and their poor health comes uh, from that, a lot of it. Um, and a lot of times, even though we know what's healthy and what we should be putting into our bodies, the reminder from your doctor who's looking at you holistically and, and really wants to, you know, get you back on track to good health makes a big difference. And that, um, you know, that, uh, that collaborative, that collaborative, um, effort makes a big difference where I kind of try to meet patients where they are, not where they should be, because where they are right now is what we have to work with, right? And we want to get them to whatever the goals are. Um, and I think, you know, a big part of that is just uh, doing the testing, as I'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, getting a really good intake and trying to figure out maybe where. So I ask a lot of patients, whether whatever their age is, whether they're younger, because I, I do see a lot of young young patients, teenagers, 20s with hormonal issues, acne, the, you know, fatigue. Um, and they have good reason for it. I mean, a lot of them are in school. They're studying. Their hours are crazy. Maybe they're partying with their friends and thinking the next morning they're going to be able to get up and uh, kind of just, you know, go. And after a certain number of years of doing that, they can't do the same thing anymore. Just like we we know. Well, as, you I know, can't do that anymore. Yeah. That's true. But I remember like not I, kind of having the opposite problem. It was just like I don't nothing affected me. So what type of hormone issues would a teen like in a younger like someone in their younger 20s have? Like like just hormones being all over the place because of pu- like 
puberty or? So sometimes during puberty, there's uh, women go through so many fluctuations. Puberty is the biggest one. Uh And then perimenopause is the next huge one. So in that group of who've gone through puberty, a lot of times they'll develop teen acne, Mm -hmm. um, even adult acne. I deal with a lot of that, you know, where, um, and most of it, if we can get their gut health Uh to be Mm -hmm. optimized, their acne improves a lot. So I'm not against using medications. I do actually prescribe medications when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really try never to be extreme in my thinking of this is absolutely no good and this is absolutely the best because at the end of the day, a, a variety of things will work for patients. And and so I want to use whatever um, you know tools we have. But for young people, a lot of the times they will be estrogen dominant. So you've probably heard that word. It, it means that they're producing more estrogen than the amount of progesterone because estrogen and progesterone need to be in balance in the body. Mm-hmm. So uh, younger women will deal with a lot of estrogen dominance. And that's where things like, you know, endometriosis, fibroids, fibroadenomas in the breast, all of those things occur because they have too much estrogen in their system as opposed as compared to the amount of progesterone in their system. So as a, as a very basic kind of thing that I look at, I look at their hormones to see if they're balanced or not. And then if they are imbalanced, what do they need to get them back in balance? And that it's it's not as easy as just giving progesterone if there are, are estrogen dominant if you don't if you don't look at their GI health look at the bacteria that you know are, are in their gut if you're n- you're never going to get them back on uh, on track if you don't look at all of those things so so is it all diet related it's not all but that's a big component of it and, okay. I, and I bring it back to that because a lot of times people don't realize the power they have to help fix their own health right, right? so right. they come see me and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that again and again talk about their sleep again and again and then if they need hormones if they need other things to help them that's where I come in to really figure out what they need and then what you know to provide what they need does each I talk, I used to talk about sleep a lot more on the podcast does sleep um, uh, vary person to person Yes. Yeah. The need for sleep varies tremendously amongst people. I mean, there is sort of a minimum, mm-hmm. probably six hours that, you know, some people will say, oh, I can get by, you know, on, on just uh, four hours of sleep. I'm sorry, you cannot do that, you know, long term. Mm-hmm. So there's a minimum, I think, of, you know, some people that that um, do well with less sleep and still function and thrive. And that's okay. I'm, I need my full eight hours. Same. And if I don't get my eight hours, I know the next day that I don't feel great. And, yeah. and if I don't make up for it the following night, then I'm going to be suffering. Yeah. My aunt and I were talking about this. She's um, an OBGYN and she, you know, for a long time was crazy hours depending on if she was on call or not, but she's the person that needs that. Like she can't wing it. And like, you know, so I was like, how did you do that? I would be like a disaster. (laughs) Um, And, and you probably did it too. Yes. In medical school, residency, fellowship, you, I mean, we, you know, night float systems where you're working all night. We, we know, I mean, you know, uh, we know the data when it comes to people that work at night and um, the fact that they have a lot more chronic health issues. Right. Um, even if they're getting eight hours, but they're getting it in the daytime, their circadian ryth- rhythm right. is, is thrown off. They're not um, they're going to develop chronic illness if they don't at some point, sw- you know, shift back to a normal um, day night uh, routine. Um, and we know and that does it have to be the routine, like same time around the same time each day, or does it matter? Like say, I, I never really do this, but like uh, sometimes on a weekend, if we went out, which is rare, like, and I went to bed at midnight, but I slept till eight, I still feel weird. Like yes, the next day. Yeah. You know, so I tell my kids this all the time. And I tell my patients this all the time. 
10 to 2 is when you're producing the most amount of your growth hormone. For So for adults, we don't need, need growth hormone to grow. We need it to repair, right? Mm-hmm. So once we're beyond, you know, childhood when you need even more hours of sleep, if you're, if you're not sleeping in that 10 to 2 time period, you've missed out the opportunity for your healing sleep. Oh. So... Even though people will say, oh, I, you know, I'm a 12 to 8, like you just said. Um, yeah, okay, that's great. You're still getting two of those hours of healing. But wouldn't it be awesome if you got the full four hours, if you know, if possible? So I try really hard. I go to bed at 1030 most nights. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband gets up at 430 in the morning to work out. So he's in bed much earlier. And um, I do try. I talk about sleep hygiene with my patients all the time. I try to practice what I preach, which is at least going to bed by 1030 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, waking up by 637 um, every day as much as possible. Now, do, are there exceptions? We we were traveling over Christmas, so we were on a completely different time, you know. Right, all the um, jet lag and all, all that. Yeah. The jet lag took forever, and as I get older and older, it's mm-hmm. like it's harder and harder to get back to a to, routine. To recover. But I think routine is important. It's, we, we know routine is so important for children. We don't realize the importance of it for adults. Mm-hmm. We need it as much as they do. It may be a different routine, maybe different hours that we need, but we need routine for us to really optimize our health. Interesting. Interesting. Um, how do you feel about the early risers that go to work out like your husband? I, I've, I've been trying to be one my whole life. I think I'm just going to throw in the towel that I'm not that person and I need the sleep instead. Like I'm lucky that I can run after I bring my daughter to school. So that's my exercise time. Um, but I've tried like to get up at like five, never really four, maybe once, but like, it's just not for me. I can't do it. I'm with you on that. I, I don't understand those people. I want to be one of those people. I, he tries to get me up in the morning, come and come work out. It's our time together. I'm like, we'll have that in the evening. Okay. Have a great day. I'll so, see, yeah, you later. see you later. <laughs> have fun. Um, I do my workout um, right at eight, at, you know, uh, depending on wh- right. whether I'm working or not, start either at seven or eight in the morning, um, depending on the day. And that gets me going for the rest of the day. Uh, I notice if I do it too late in the day, I'm too wired then. Um, Same. Me so too. I can't go issue. to sleep. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't like to do it. And and I also hate taking two showers. It's like a whole thing. Yes. <laughs> you know? Washing your hair. Yeah. It's like too much. <laughs> so unless like I had to. But um, but I agree. But I also feel like that when I get things done earlier, I'm more, you know, you get more out of the day. You're yes. more productive. So you see both sides. But um, but I, it's always interesting to me how the, the people that get up and, you know, and and do they, it every day religiously. They have something. To, well, he goes to bed so early. So I would prefer to be up a little mm. later and maybe watch a show and then read my book. So I, I try really to turn off all the electronics um, at least an hour before I'm ready to go to sleep. And then I read uh-huh. and minimize the light. So, you know, I use the um, night mode on my on my iPad because I read on my iPad at night. Those things, I think, make a big difference. The amount of light coming in mm-hmm. is uh, you want to minimize that at night. And it's really, really important to turn off those electronics that can interfere with that. And, you know, the blue light, blocking glasses, all of those things help a lot. Um, and so if I, if I have patients, which sleep is a huge concern for a lot of women, you know, we talked about the younger age group with Mm -hmm. their hormones, but the perimenopausal period, which can really span 40 to, you know, 60 uh, there, it's a long range of when women can develop those symptoms. And if they're not getting enough sleep, um, a a lot of times it's related related to low estrogen levels. And, um, so I, I see that where estrogen dominance is prominent when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Well, when they're older, it's it almost becomes the opposite. They're depleted with estrogen. They may still be estrogen dominant just because they now have no almost no estrogen and almost no progesterone in their system. And so they're de- and progesterone is really important for sleep. So if someone's levels are low, whether they're young or old, they will have sleep issues. And oh, interesting. That's a big part of, you know, what I look at for 
for perimenopausal women. Okay. So let's talk, let's dive into, um, well, one, uh, services that you offer, um, perimenopausal women and also gut health. I think um, part of at least maybe uh, treating perimenopause symptoms can be helped with gut health, I'd, I'd assume, you or no? You always have to treat the gut first. If okay. you don't deal with the gut first, you know, if, so, I mean, I ask so many questions in my intake in terms of constipation. So this is one of those things that nobody wants to talk about their bowel movements. I love talking about bowel movements. And the reason is if I know that someone's having a normal bowel movement every single day, not constipated, you know, feels like they're cleaned out thoroughly, I know they're detoxing every day. How do we detox? We, we sweat out toxins, we breathe out toxins, we poop out toxins. And so if we're not using all of those modalities, peeing out uh, toxins, we want to make sure that you're hydrated enough that you're, you know, you're pooping every single day. Um, and then sweating is a really big part of it as well that, um, you know, we had talked about the infrared sauna earlier. Um, I'm a big proponent for the infrared sauna. We, in our environment, we're exposed to so many things, so many bad things. Um, we're not even aware of it, the microplastics, the things that in our water, the, the hormones that we're getting, you know, even our, in our water supply, the antibiotics. If we're not, if we're not, exercising, you know, you're a runner. That's amazing. I do Pilates. That's my, my new you thing. Love that. Now. Yeah. My daughter, my 25 year old got me into Pilates and oh. I love it. Um, but I do that. I, I go on my treadmill. I, but I need my sauna at least once or twice a week to really get that good sweat. I go in there for an hour and the infrared sauna has a lot of health benefits along with any kind of sauna. So, um, sweating out toxins is, you know, a big part of what I Try what I do for myself, and I, I tell my patients I have an infrared sauna at home that I use regularly. My daughter loves it when she's home. So the um, ones that you can like buy that like that you can put them in your basement or whatever. Yes. and they have they're like standing. I've seen those. That's really yeah. cool. You have to be I love a careful sauna. with them. You know, make sure you're getting one that has low EMFs. There's a lot of things okay. to look at with those, but as long as you get one that's you know low EMF um, and it doesn't have the uh, the electromagnetic field exposures that oh. some of them do. You have to, and no off-gassing, you know, certain woods that they're made out of. So it's important to look at the research, uh, to research the good ones. But I have a broad spectrum one. So it, there's near infrared, mid and far infrared. And far infrared is great for detox. Uh -huh. Near is great for skin. And I'm like, mm. you know, as much as I care about the inside of, uh, you know, the, the body, I care as much about the outside and skin health and looking and feeling great. So it's, it, it helps with all of that. So I've seen a lot of like gadgets and things come out from like, I was at Best Buy over the holidays and I saw like, they sell like, you know, things to put over your face, the red light and stuff. But anytime I get a facial and they do, I never even know what to ask when I go, it's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, like one that's good. <laughs> I don't know. You, you figure it out uh, yeah, for me. Yeah, right? Thank you. <laughs> but when they do the red light, I, that's the, the only ones I noticed that I look very like glowy and like, yes. not even glowy, but just like bright and like very like, like healthy. My skin looks healthy. Yes. Um, so that, you know, I've definitely noticed. I'll have to check out the infrared. I haven't done that before. Um, uh, re related to gut health, what is your stance on prebiotics, probiotics? There's a gazillion things out there to take. We need prebiotic fiber. Mm -hmm. We need pro good probiotics. The reason, so if we were in an ideal world where we didn't get exposed to anything bad, no antibiotic exposure, no steroid exposure, um, none of the toxins in our environment, and all of those th things can derail our guts, which is kind of scary because, you know, why, why is our gut so sensitive to those things? Mm -hmm. Well, we were, you know, we were made 
way before all those things were in our environment. So obviously our guts, maybe over time, they've, uh, we adapt somewhat and people can be in good health by, by eating healthy prebiotic fiber and getting just probiotics through, through diet that, and those people do great. Mm -hmm. Okay. But for people that maybe had a course of antibiotics or were on steroids because they're asthmatic or they had some, you know, upper respiratory thing, their doctor put them on a course of steroids or antibiotics that wipes out all the good flora as, as well as all the bad stuff, right? So now you have to, your body has to rebuild the good uh, bacteria and you're leaving it up to chance if you're not doing something to help it to see what populates in your system. We have to rebuild, our bodies will automatically rebuild the, the bacteria, but we have we can have a hand in choosing what types of bacteria. And so, you know, things like the lactobacillus species that are really, really good, that are the first ones that are wiped out. They're the ones that, you know, you can get in yogurt, for instance. Um, you can get that in kefir and like a lot of the- Sauerkraut, um, right? Sauerkraut has that. So you want the good lactobacillus species and they're the, the most sensitive actually to being wiped out for, of our system. So when I do, when I test patients for their um, gut health to see what their digestion looks like, um, whether they're absorbing their nutrients, all of that is what I do in a comprehensive stool analysis. And every patient gets um, a stool analysis that comes in to see me for functional medicine. For the, So, you know, I have two sides to my practice. One is a functional medicine side, mm -hmm. and then the other one, uh, which deals with hormones and, and gut health and all of those things. And then there's the weight loss side, because mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times, the, and, and patients cross over, so I see them for both sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very separate, different visits, but I'm looking at very similar things uh, in those patients. I want to know what their their uh, hemoglobin A1C is to look at what their blood sugar control is. At the end of the day, and I, I feel like I could talk on mm -hmm. blood sugar for hours, but if your blood sugar is well controlled and, and doesn't spike and drop, um, you know, precipitously with different different foods in your diet, you will be a lot healthier. And, mm -hmm. you know, we know as physicians, we know the primary killers, heart disease, cancer, those are, they're all related to blood sugar in some way or another, you know. So people uh -huh. talk about Alzheimer's as a type 3 diabetes, for instance. That's high blood sugar predisposes you to developing dementia. So it predisposes you to developing cancer, heart disease, all of those things um, at, at the very basic level um, have to deal with blood sugar. And so why do I bring up blood sugar? Because if you have good gut health and the proper bacteria that are in your um, uh, digestive, in your GI system, in your colon, they will help you with your blood sugar control as well. So prebiotic fibers you had asked about earlier, absolutely, a lot of it is, you know, eating asparagus, eating uh, onions. I mean, there's so many foods, you know, that- So you have, don't have to take a supplement. You don't have to, but if you're recovering from, from an illness mm -hmm. and you want to rebuild things, then taking a supplement that has really good probiotics as well as prebiotic fiber, is a great idea. Gotcha. And so okay. I, with all, you know, one thing when people come in, I tell them what to do, even if they didn't, they're not here to see me for an acute illness, which is always have a good probiotic available because if you ever needed antibiotics or um, some kind of medication is going to wipe out your good flora, mm. immediately you start taking that as well. And so you will not wipe out the good bacteria or even if you they get wiped out, you will pre repopulate them a lot quicker and uh, get your health back quicker. Interesting. I take um, seed. Have you heard of it? Seed? Oh, yes. Yes. I am familiar with that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like it. It's yeah. been a couple of years, so it's fine, I guess. One <laughs> thing I will say about any probiotic um, or uh, prebiotic is to keep switching it up. Mm -hmm. You don't want the same strains because your body does kind of get used to it and adapts to it. Oh. So I tell my patients all the time, you finish a bottle of, of uh, pre uh, probiotics, let's say, uh -huh. switch to a different one with a different um, list of 
um, bacteria in uh, in there um, oh, the next time. And I really like the spore-based uh, probiotics a lot when you're trying to recover good health. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they, they tend to um, mimic what we get when we eat uh, fresh vegetables and what were the bacteria that are that come along with those vegetables. Um, so um, that's sort of mimicking what we're getting through a natural environment. Mm-hmm. And then you can switch to different brands and different um, you know formulations. If you're stick, if you do one all the time, mm-hmm. I do think the body gets used to it, and we need a variety. So variety is always a good idea. Okay, um, perimenopause. What? Like, how do you even know that you are have are going into per, have, I don't even know is it going into having entering, yeah so entering, <laughs> entering. Peri- perimenopause is this like vast time period and it can begin early forties sometimes even people earlier but early to mid forties is really the age where people start to notice first things like fatigue they notice things like hair loss they notice maybe some vaginal dryness mm-hmm. um, irritability which is so nonspecific you're like you could be you're irritable like, for men all the time I don't know am I. <laughs> You know, you see those menopausal women sometimes and they're just like they have a frown on their face mm-hmm. and you and you sort of get this idea in your mind like, oh, my gosh, like I look at them and I think, oh, my God, hormones would really probably benefit her. You know, um, Oh, really? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we, um, we were talking earlier about, you know, the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI study, the biggest hormone study that's ever been done. And the fact that that really derailed a lot of women from using her- uh, hormones and a lot of doctors that said, oh, my gosh, no, you don't want to develop, you know, um, blood clots and, you know, breast cancer and this risk and that risk. And a lot of that has been really debunked in terms of um, uh, the fact that it depends on which kind of hormone therapy you're using much more than whether you're using hormones. Hormones are very important for women as they're going through menopause in particular. But to get back to the perimenopause stage, Mm -hmm. it's the time period when you have so many nonspecific symptoms. Sleep concerns start. The minute estrogen starts to drop, women start getting sleep issues. And it can happen early 40s, and they're not thinking that I, this is related to my hormones at all. That's the last thing on their um, on their mind. They're thinking, oh, you know, um, I didn't get enough sleep. Yes, that's a big aspect of it. I have young children. I'm running around. All of that plays a role. Mm-hmm. But there may be some, you know, some imbalances in their hormones that are playing a big role in it. And so without testing, there's no way to know where someone's hormones are. And I like to do something called the Dutch test. It's a dried urine hormone test that looks at not only their estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, their adrenal glands we look at, we look at their melatonin production, um, a bunch of uh, neurotransmitters to see what's going on. It's not just all hormones. There's neurotransmitters that we make that we need. Um, and so I look at all of that and try to get, form a big picture of what's going on with them. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you don't treat their, so I always treat gut first. That's going to be, you know, the first thing we look at and the first thing we deal with. Um, then we look at their other hormones, like their adrenal, their cortisol production, their thyroid. Every Everybody you know that, I, that comes to see me for a functional medicine evaluation, I, I do a really in-depth evaluation with blood work to look at their um, adrenal gland and their um, thyroid hormones because they can be just slightly off on those. Uh, they may not um, meet the criteria for getting thyroid hormones, but I need to know if that's where they are because we can give them things to help um, their thyroid uh, uh, hormone production that don't don't involve taking actual hormones. So there are things to be done in that age group that don't involve taking hormones and and optimizing um, their gut health um, and looking at those things are really, really important early on. But other symptoms, oh my gosh, I mean, there's so many of them, you know, um, uh, libido's dropping in their in, for, in your 40s. It's suddenly like, wait a second, like I noticed, you know, I'm not as interested anymore. What's going on? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, a lot of those symptoms, and, and they can really... 
um, overlap with different, you know, hormones can, uh, sex hormones can overlap with uh, adrenal and thyroid. And how do you know what you have without testing? So I, you know, I'm a big pro- 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 proponent, excuse me, for, of that. And um, I think it's really important to get the information as opposed to guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I deal with that a lot. You know, now, now the biggest thing with, um, with uh, hormone therapy is that I, you know, the bioidentical hormones versus the FDA approved hormones. They all work great. Um, nowadays, there are a lot of bioidentical FDA approved hormones. So women don't have to go the compounded route if they don't want to. If they want to use patches, they want to use gels that are FDA approved. Um, we have ones that are that are bioidentical now, which is great because the old studies, the, the WHI study that I mentioned earlier, for instance, they used horse urine derived hormones, which if you even just think about that, does that sound like I want to, I want to take horse urine no, into my body I'm as, okay with that. and you know, oral hormones, which I don't use at all, um, in perimenopause and menopause, we, um, will, I use a lot of topical or patches, things like that, that are absorbed and they bypass the gut. So it doesn't involve your gut metabolizing them. So you can use a lot lower doses of hormones and get them absorbed directly in um, to, uh, systemically without going through the gut because the liver and the GI system uh, gets rid of, you know, the majority of the hormone before it ever hits your system. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Um, do you recommend, uh, well, I, you know, I, most of your patients to that they exercise each day? I like five days a week. And five. the reason is we really need recovery as well. Uh, people that exercise too much can actually, you know, cause more damage. Because remember, we're producing free radicals and things in our system. Um, we're uh, Every time we exercise, it's a stressor on the system, but it's a good stressor because right. it's telling your body, oh, okay, I need to I need to be able to do this because this is what my body is demanding of me. So now it's going to work harder to, to make muscle, right? To um, make sure that our lung capacity improves. All the things that we need in order to be healthier, exercise help helps us get uh, to that goal. Um, but I think people that exercise seven days a week, it's not that it's not that you shouldn't do it, but I think that that um, the need for uh, repair right. and recovery, the muscles need that. And yeah. so um, I think five to six days is ideal, and you need that at least one to two days of rest. Um, I to- always notice too, like if I run, I usually don't ever run seven days, but like the day that I take off, like the following day, I always run better because yes. my yes. body's like rested sure. and I can run longer and stuff. So. Um, so yeah, I, I'm always interested about that, like whether or not you're really supposed to do that, but I guess it's just whatever works for you. I think you it's, know? I think it's individual. You're right. Yeah. I think that, um, some people will do better splitting up, you know, maybe taking, uh, if they did five days, splitting it up where there's a day, you know, maybe in midweek and, and on the weekend that they take their, and, and that's right. kind of normal. Maybe they'll go on a hike with the family instead and mm-hmm. do something fun outdoors or, um, you know, in this weather, I don't know. I'm, I'm like not move a, your body differently, <laughs> exactly. essentially clean the house. That's yes. moving. <laughs> yeah. That's moving as yeah. well. Right. You're doing right. too. You're actually getting the benefit of a clean house along with having moved your body. So it's a double benefit, which right. is awesome. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, moms and weight loss and how you can help them. So I see, you know, it seems sort of like a natural, first of all, um, you know, I deal with uh, a personal family member of mine that uh, deals with weight um, a lot. So it was really more of a passion project for me to try to figure out because I can help them with the functional medicine aspect, the wellness aspect of it. But sometimes the weight still doesn't budge, which is amazing hmm. that uh, a lot of times they'll they'll be eating healthy and um, it's something to do with their metabolism. It's something to do maybe, maybe they're borderline thyroid issues that are going on that are preventing them from losing weight 
weight the same way that someone with a normal thyroid can lose weight and a normal metabolism can lose weight. So, you know, that whole old mantra of uh, calories in, calories out, mm -hmm. So much of that is not true anymore. We know that as, as doctors, we know that in the nutrition world, that you can eat healthy and eat the right number of calories and your body still has a hard time shedding the weight. And even there are people that yo-yo, even after working out, there okay. are people that will do all of that and, or they may just lose weight so slow, so slowly that it becomes demoralizing for them mm -hmm. and to a point where they're like, you know what, I'm giving up and, and they shouldn't give up. And, and, you know, you want to tell them you will get to your goal. It'll just take a, a much longer time, but we have other tools now. So I don't think, you know, our tool belt is so, is so much bigger now than it was years ago with the, the new weight loss peptide medications that are available. Um, you know, I use, um, compounded terzepatide a lot in my practice. I was using semaglutide. Um, I find the terzepatide, which is a dual receptor agonist, so it's a GLP-1 agonist and a GIP agonist. It works on two receptors at the same time. It works on the brain. I mean, all these medications, at the end of the day, what causes cravings? What causes us to, you know, binge eat or, you know, grab that, that bag of potato chips and not be able to just eat a couple? We want the whole bag. Mm -hmm. um, or if we have a sweet craving, you know, perimenopause is a time fraught with a lot of cravings. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the body's sort of in this like fight or flight response almost. It's a very inflammatory state to our bodies a lot of times. And, um, we start putting on weight. Anything that causes inflammation in the body will increase because it's our bodies in fight or flight are, are in survival mode. And so our ancestors, when they were in survival, survival mode needed fat stores um, in right. order to get through what right. those those times of famine or the cold, you know, when they're they're not able to um, grow their crops and they, they have to have stores of things. Um, well, we don't go through that anymore, right? I mean, an, a normal um, uh, person in, in today's developed uh, countries, we don't need all that ex extra fat. In fact, we have the opposite problem, right? So, so much obesity, so many people overweight. And so that seemed a natural addition to my practice where, you know, even people that were doing all the right things and not having and not being able to lose the weight, mm -hmm. a lot of times um, would benefit from those, um, those medications. Because, you know, if we look at obesity in the same way we look at high blood pressure, high cholesterol, as, uh, as a disease process, it's happening in our in our um, uh, population. Um, why are so many people overweight? I mean, a lot of it is the exposures to toxins, going back to what I mentioned earlier, detoxifying our systems helps a lot. Um, but it is a defense mechanism that our bodies hold on to weight and um, the the weight gain in the in the mid portion of the bodies through you know in, in perimenopause, um, which women can uh, do everything right, but the weight still comes on uh, in the uh, midsection and and you know around the the visceral fat, which is the really unhealthy fat and leads to things like heart disease and cancer and all those other yeah. bad things. So um, losing even five pounds of uh, of weight on somebody's body changes their metabolism in a way, changes the metabolic functions of their bodies in a way that even that small amount of weight losses can be very beneficial to them. So if they can get into an ideal weight, um, they can move better. Your joints work better. So people that are overweight, they're they're struggling. Let's say they want to be exercising. They want to be doing all those good things. But then they put such a strain on their joints that they can't do it as much as they would like to, mm -hmm. right? So if we can get them to lose that 5 to 10% of body weight, even that will make their movement so much easier. And so they end up 
being able to do more than then more motivated. Then, yes. Yeah. And it becomes a good cycle instead mm-hmm. of a vicious cycle of right. like fighting it, right? Because you so, see like results. So you just want to keep going because you want to keep going however long to get there. So you want to, you know, keep keep moving forward. And I'm very, very conservative when it comes to weight loss. I want to do it slowly for them because I don't want them to gain it back. You know, people that come to me have already tried so many things, Weight Watchers and other, you know, other programs. And Weight Watchers is great because people do lose weight on it. The problem is that they somehow don't maintain it. And so people ask me all the time, like, well, do I have to be on these medications forever? Is this going to be something that, you know, for the rest of my life? Um, I really believe that uh, these medications at the at the root of how they work is the blood sugar control. Mm. And so going back to what I said earlier about maintaining a good blood sugar helps maintain good health. And so if these medications are what keeps somebody on track um, once they've reached their goal weight and um, just is that added benefit, because again, they work on the brain, they work on our cravings. Right. And if we don't have those cravings to that same degree, we're going to be able to make better food choices. And then, uh, you know, everything else kind of falls into place because nutrition plays such a big role in it. And you're going to be choosing healthier foods because you're not craving all the, you know, the carbs and the the salty foods and the and the sugar and all those things. So um, it, uh, you know, and I, and the way I do it, you know, there, there are so many weight loss clinics out there. I mean, every other corner has a, a you know, a med spa or, or somebody doing these things. Um, as a doctor doing this, I, I really want people to be um, healthy through it. There are a lot of uh, side effects that can happen, adverse effects, things like pancreatitis, acute cholecystitis, you know, your gallbladder attack, forming gallstones. The My goal in weight loss is to do it as, in as healthy a way as possible and to do it in a long-lasting way as possible. Mm. Um, so we, I don't want you, anybody, you know, a person comes in, I don't want them losing weight quickly mm. because you know what rapid weight loss uh, does to a person's body? If you actually look at what's going on, what's going on in the bloodstream is they're circulating a lot of toxins. When we lose our, um, our fat stores, our fat stores hold toxins in. So if you're losing weight very rapidly, people actually feel sick. And so you want to lose it slowly, a pound, maybe a pound and a half a week when they're in that um, actual weight loss, uh, you know, phase, the the, the uh, weight loss phase of the program. Mm. Um, we want them losing slowly so that they can uh, equalize. And I want them losing fat, not muscle. If someone loses weight very rapidly, they are mostly losing muscle. Mm. And, um, you know, I tell all my patients, especially the 50, 60 year old and older, Muscle is longevity. Muscle is long life and um, and uh, health span. So the more we can hold on to our muscle, um, and I and you know I tell my 25 year old daughter this that like you need to she does Pilates as I mentioned earlier, you need to hold on to your muscle because that's gonna, what's going to get you through the um, the older age uh, groups and and stay healthy. Wow, I read somewhere that um, even if you're not hungry in the morning, you should at least have like a little snack until you are hungry or like later that morning, um, and I'm assuming that has to do with like having your blood sugar not spike. So you're a probably not like binging and eating like everything in sight and B to stabilize and your metabolism. Right. Um, so for some people, it really, it's so individual. And I go with what the patient really needs. And I, I listen to what their lifestyle is. So for me, I do intermittent fasting. I don't eat before noon. So I was going to ask about that. So, yeah. so you do believe that and I, that works. I, not, for, for, not, for not for everybody. Okay, so that's it. what's important. There are some people that actually do very poorly with intermittent fasting. They're the ones who become hypoglycemic by not eating in the morning, for instance. Mm-hmm. But you can change 
change your, um, your eight, you know, like an eight hour eating window to any time of day that works. So if nine to five works best for you to be, to be eating, you eat in that eight hour time period. And then the rest of the 16 hours is your fasting time period. That works great for me. 12 to eight works great Mm -hmm. because it actually is awesome. Even on the weekends, if we go out to dinner, um, and you're planning on eating later in the evening, it still fits into that. So I may, you know, on, on Saturday, if I know that we have a party, I won't eat till two. And that way I can go till a little later till 10 and still be able to eat and stay in my, in my eating window. Um, so I think combining things like these peptides for weight loss with, um, intermittent fasting based on that individual's needs Mm -hmm. works amazingly well for people. It's, uh, you know, and they can, and once they've, they're not in that active weight loss time period, Mm -hmm. they can still maintain and, um, use that eight hour, um, time, you know, of eating, um, as a way to, to maintain their weight. So okay. it's, it's, but you're, you're absolutely right for so, some people, they need that morning. So especially teenagers, you know, they're going to school and in the morning they're like, I don't want to eat anything, but I feel nauseous. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've, I've, so many people will come in and they're like, oh, uh, they have a history of having, you know, become hypoglycemic and passed out in school or something because they didn't eat anything in the morning. Well, those people need to be eating earlier and they should not be waiting till noon to, um, have something to eat and, and, you know, make sure that their blood sugar stays stable. Oh, wow. So um, we were chatting a little bit earlier about um, the prevalence of now weight, weight loss and um, the, you know, Ozempics and the, you know, the um, lots of people are being treated and not necessarily going through the right steps to be able to make sure that they're a good candidate for that. Um, so what are some, you know, cautionary tales, like things to be wary of and to keep in mind um, if you're a good candidate for, um, the, is it the semaglutide and all of that? Yes, right. semaglutide, semaglutide is one type of, uh, which is uh, the brand name is Ozempic or Wagovi. And then you have Trizepatide, which is Munjaro and Zepbound are the brand names. Zepbound is just a newly approved um, form of Trizepatide that is on the market now specifically for weight loss. Um, So it's really, really important to get a good history on those people, uh, on patients that are interested in it, whether they have a family history that that may preclude them from safely taking the medication. Um, So, you know, I do a a big intake uh, on those people, but also their own, you know, what is their BMI? So if they have uh, BMI over 28, for instance, so, you know, we look at their weight um, and height and the ratio, and depending on where they fall on the the BMI map, are they a good candidate for it? Someone just wants to lose like five to 10 pounds because um, they... You know they they're they're struggling to lose that weight, and they have no and their BMI is uh, t- under twenty you know uh, under twenty eight, and they have no other risk factors. Their blood sugar is control is normally controlled. They they really shouldn't be on these medications because there are some adverse effects that can happen, and there are some side effects that they can be dealing with. So I don't think you know um, taking these medications as a quick fix is um, the right way to approach them. They are a great tool in addition to the proper diet and all the other things that um, that we use. And but let's say somebody comes in and, and they are you know thirty pounds overweight, their uh, BMI is uh, you know thirty thirty two whatever it is, and they've really tried hard with everything else. They're they're eating uh, you know. Clean diet, um, but they're struggling with the cravings and um, maybe nighttime eating and those kinds of things. They would be a good candidate for it, assuming that they, you know, qualify based on their medical history. And um, so, you know, I do blood work on them first to begin with. We want to know what their uh, things like their hemoglobin A1C, what their what their blood sugar control over time is. That's what hemoglobin 
hemoglobin A1C checks, your fasting glucose is a snapshot of what your sugar is that morning without having eaten. That's one value. But a hemoglobin A1C looks at a, a broad value, like a, the last 120 days on average of what um, their blood sugar has been doing. And so that gives me a really good idea of whether you know they're they're a good candidate. And anybody with blood sugar issues can really benefit from these medications, especially if they're overweight. So um, they will normalize blood sugar and not let it spike um, the way that, you know, they may normally have some, some uh, hypo, you know, some, some issues with blood sugar control, whether it's hypoglycemic episodes or hyperglycemic episodes where their blood sugar goes too high. And so um, we look at all of that. And if I need to, I follow their labs. Um, once their labs come back and they, and they're, uh, you know, they're cleared for basically starting the medication, we're very careful. I mean, I, I guide them on, uh, you know, proper amounts of protein, proper amounts of hydration, because you want to prevent those potential side effects like pancreatitis, cholecystitis. People can develop a lot, you know, other other issues. I mean, now uh, stories are coming out with people developing um, small bowel issues, you know, um, they're not, or severe constipation. They haven't gone to the bathroom in days and no one's guiding them a lot of times. You know, they go and they get the medication from one of these med spas or uh, whatever. And they have no other guidance beyond yeah. that. And that's what's scary out there. I think that, you you know, we see a lot of that. Um, Is that why they're developing that, like, what they're calling the Ozempic face? Like, they're, no one's guiding them, and then they're rapid weight loss, and yes. then they look, like, gaunt and like that. Yes, okay. yes. And, right. they, and now they look so aged, and you're right. like... You know, you, you're thin, you, but all, but one, the one problem about losing weight, like the only problem really is that, um, you, you know, it shows like more fine lines and you look yes. like, you know, and that <laughs> drains where, all the collagen. Yeah. And face. that's, you know, what that's such a big part of it because I, I actually, most of, most of the, I mean, I see men and women for weight loss, but most of the time it's the women that will ask about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've lost the weight and I feel great. But what about how my <laughs> face, you know, I feel like I see more wrinkles and I love talking about that with them too, because, you know, there are other peptides, collagen peptides is going to be like the number one friend to those people that are losing weight oh. to take regularly. Because even though the collagen is such a big, big molecule, and when you're, um, when you're taking collagen peptides, you're not, they're not magically going into your skin, your body has to break them down. The amino acids then reform collagen and in your system. And it builds up over time, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. And so over time, that collagen uh, peptide that you're taking in regularly will help your hair, skin, nails. And so that, I mean, that I tell them right from the beginning. I have a whole list of supplements that I recommend. I make sure people's vitamin D levels are optimized. If your vitamin D levels are not optimized, you're not going to be able to lose weight. So that's like a, that's actually a, a, a pearl that anybody wanting to lose weight should know what their vitamin D level is. And, you know, um, if it's not optimal, you can't make hormones. Vitamin D is actually a pro-hormone. It's not a vitamin. Hmm. It's, you know, really mislabeled as a vitamin. You can't make your own estrogen and all your hormones. And it, you need it for cholesterol production. We, we hear cholesterol as the bad thing in the body, but the mm -hmm. cholesterol is so necessary for so many functions in the body. And so in order to make good cholesterol, sorry, that's rumbling my stomach. Um, <laughs> Uh, you you need vitamin D for that. And so I optimize their vitamin D levels. Um, I make sure they're taking magnesium. There are just a lot of things that we we put into the protocol to make sure that people are successful at, you know, their weight loss journey and that they don't end up with that as, like you said, the ozempic face, which, you know, is a big, big issue for, right. for rapid weight loss. Yeah. So you have to really be careful with that. The collagen peptide is something that's prescribed or is it you're talking about no, supplements that you can buy? And, like, yes. So are there better ones? Like I take one and I think I'm actually going to 
stop taking it because I'm like, it's been like months and it's expensive. And I'm like, I don't know. I like, I don't really see much of a difference. Um, but what, like, it, what do you look for when you're getting, like, can you, you buy the one from Costco? Like that's. Costco has some great brands. Okay. Like they'll do a lot of organic brands and things. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not that it's good or bad, but you want to read the label and make sure that the source, you know, what the source is. Um, so, you know, there's bovine sources, which is from cow. Um, mm -hmm. You can get, um, there are a lot of different brands that are, are really good. You just want a clean source. Um, you know, uh, look at what, what, what that, the cows that, how are they raised basically? And they'll talk about third party testing on the label a lot of times. Oh, wow. You, you, most of the supplements that I recommend are all third party tested. I don't Got want it. to have, uh, to have my patients taking things that, that we don't know. I mean, you know, there was the big scandal in New York City years ago, or New York State rather, where um, they found garlic and ginger and things in in supplements that were labeled, you know, B12 and other other vitamins. So it was like it was a really big. Oh wow! Um, I didn't know that. Oh, it was a huge thing, and so ever since then. Um, companies started, you know, um, reputable companies started getting third-party tested and, and putting that on their labels. So if you're buying something, make sure it's third-party tested, whatever it is. That, so you know that what's in there is what they say is in there. Oh, interesting. And that's important okay. because, you know, it could be labeled whatever it is that they, they're they selling, but you don't know if that's what you're getting. Yeah. So we, um, next time we come back on and we'll talk about um, like FDA regulations and food and stuff because that would be, it's so interesting to me. And yeah, there's a lot well, of, um, you know, there, there's so much, there's so much information out there, especially with social media. It's good. It's good. Um, you know, obviously I make, this is my, my um, you know, my career, but, and help, help, you know, a vehicle to bring information to and resources to um, the community. But at the same time, there's a lot of information that's like not, you know, guiding you in the right direction. So um, what to eat is always like, I think so interesting to so oh, many. Oh yeah. And I think what, you know, what you eat is, is such a big part of, of anybody's health. If you tell me what you eat, I will tell you you know, what I think your, where your health is. And I think that's true for, for most people that, um, it makes a huge difference. So interesting. Um, so we chatted a little bit about, um, your, where you, where you're from, um, in the beginning, but we didn't, um, uh, talk about your mom of three. Um, yes. and you live in Tom's River? Uh, no, I live in Marlboro. You live in Marlboro now. Yes, okay. Got yeah. it. So I work in Tom's River in West Long Branch, but I live in Marlboro. Um, I have three children. My eldest is 25. Anjali, she's a medical student, second year, uh, going through the, the, the exams and everything right Aww. now. My middle one is, uh, 20 and Isha, she's at Tulane in New Orleans. Oh, my, I have second a cousin year. who goes there. Oh, she loves it. it. And it's such a, it's such a great school. I mean, what they, even just the school spirit, the, the, yes. uh, families. You know, my older one went to Emory and I feel like we loved Emory, but there was there was not that family school spirit of like, I am from Emory. For the Tulaneans, it's like this big part of their life. I is, don't know if you remember um, last year they were in, it was like one of the games oh and there was God. Tulane girl. Yes. That's my cousin. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. She's famous. Yes. yes. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah. That's very she, cool. Yeah. She was like all over ESPN yes. and then someone else picked it up. And it, yeah, it was funny. That that's was her. huge yeah. on social media. My daughter sent me something about that. Yeah. That's her. Yeah. And then my youngest, Akshay, he's um, a first year freshman at University of Miami. Oh. He's doing the whole frat thing right now, which makes me very nervous, mm -hmm. but um, he's loving it. I mean, they, you know, they're, both schools are are really amazing schools. And That's they great. Them. Do they, they know what they want to do yet or not really? No, but yeah. definitely not medicine. Both okay. my husband and I are doctors and, and you know, my eldest one always, uh, I think she always wanted to be a doctor. She mm -hmm. never really had other ideas in her mind, but the two younger ones are like, 
my middle one may be law. My 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 uh, youngest is all about money, so um, he Finance wants to something. yeah something. And he's at the business school, <laughs> so we'll see what what they do with that. They're still young, and uh -uh. you know. But as a new empty nester, I, I you know I I deal I talk to moms all the time, and and um, my favorite people are moms. I mean, my patients. Like I love to connect with them on that that level as well because I feel like it's such a big part of our lives, right? Yes. Being a mom and my identity. Like it took a big hit when I became an empty nester this past August. I was like, okay, so it's, I mean, I'm still mom number one, but not every day. Like yeah. I, I can't, you know, I get on the phone with them and we, and we, you know, FaceTime and we, we have our calls regularly, some more than others, you know, <laughs> depending on the child. But, um, that was tough. That was a tough transition to try to figure out, like, how do I identify myself? So I started playing pickleball. I, you know, started Pilates. I, I like hot yoga. There's a bunch of things that now I do for myself. That's great. Um, just because I think that, you know, Staying vital and and as as healthy as possible. I want to be around for my grandkids. You know? Right. And I know we're not right. thinking we're not there no, yet. Not yet. <laughs> but still, like that's the goal. Right. Right. Um. Yeah. We were chatting a little bit. My son also moved out, so I I I still have my daughter. But yeah, it's an interest. It's strange because it's you you when you're in the thick of it, you're like, oh, I just want more time for myself a little bit, like selfishly. And then all of a sudden it's just fleeting. And they're like, I, my son very much surprised me and got his own place and stuff. And so now I don't know. I mean, maybe one day he'll come back if maybe he wanted to change careers and needed to Is stay he or whatever. Where? He's local. Okay, So, so he came over for dinner him. the other day yeah. and I talked to him. I bother him like all day long. I like, I, he never, he'll call me like, usually it's like, what's our car insurance yes. thing? Or, you know, <laughs> when they need something. Boys call <laughs> for specific things they need. <laughs> Need, whereas right. girls just call to you know chat and totally and it's it's the dynamics is so interesting between boys and girls. It is, and so. I love it. I love that they're so different from each other. And, yes, and they were raised in the same household. How did that happen? Right, so different. Oh my, my two kids could not be more different. It's it's very funny. And same thing. I can't imagine my daughter would ever like she. I mean, she's attached to me now. I don't. You know, hopefully that doesn't change in her teens. But um, I feel but. like they leave for a bit in college where you don't. Um, maybe the interaction is more limited, and then. They come back. Like my older one, she's always, you know, like asking me for recipes and like, oh, can I take? What do you think of this supplement? I'm like, okay, we'll talk about that. You know, we, well, that's I don't great. Want you, to, you have a great resource. Uh, and, and, for her. and she and she's really into her health now because she had, you know, uh, acne and other issues growing up. And every time I would tell her what I felt she needed to do, and you know, it would go in one ear and out the other. And now I feel at 25, she's really starting to embrace mm. that mom can actually help her and uh, kind of listening to me, you know, um, on that on that front. And I love that, that we can have that conversation. And I also love talking about, you know, random medical things with her, which is so cool because I grew up in a family that of non-medical people. And so I didn't have anybody. Then my brother uh, also became a radiologist. So we had that connection. And, you know, uh, my husband's a doctor. We, now we have a bunch of doctors in the family. But growing up, I didn't have anybody to, you know, to discuss any of those things with, or even when I was in medical school, it was like a void. And so now she'll tell me about uh, certain things and certain uh, whatever she's learning. And I love hearing about that. So it's, it's cool. It's that cool. is your um, plethora, so much knowledge and, and so interesting to, to learn from. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank where, you so much for um, having me. Where can everyone find you? So my website, um, Juvenate Medical Wellness and Rejuvenation, you can find me um, there. Uh, we're also, we have a Facebook page. Um, uh, we have an Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, and 
um, uh, you know, find, uh, anytime anybody needs help, you can always uh, call us um, and make an appointment, come in and, and uh, uh, see me. And I love, I love working with women, especially not, I don't want to, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, yeah. men need help as well, but they are so much less willing to get it. And usually they're pushed by their wives, whereas yeah. women <laughs> seek out help. And mm -hmm. I feel like, um, you know, at, at a certain stage in life, um, when you've raised your children, maybe when they're a little older, you can focus on yourself and your health. We're always the last ones we take care of yeah. um you know when it when you can take care of yourself at the a forefront um actually your whole family does better for it so, so when we're healthy they're healthy yeah or i forget i was having this conversation i think yesterday with a uh, actually a local attorney and we were talking about she does family law <clears throat> and we were talking a little bit about that and um not so much you know from a uh, like from a health standpoint, but just how if you are taking, you know, good self-care that you show up more, you know, you show up better for your family and you ch you check that box, right? And you just feel you can be more present and it's, it's so important. So, so true. So um, true. Yeah. And uh, and I'll continue to talk about that because we're going to talk about that at the summit and um, and about, you know, just like really making sure that you feel ful fulfilled from a professional level, from a, you know, um, from your, for your own health, for your mental health. And, um, the little things that you do each day doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm at the gym for three hours and screw my kids. I'm never, you know, like, but just the the things that you do um, over time, you know, can make you a better mom and, you know, feel better. Absolutely. And, um, from the inside and out. So um, so thank you again for coming. Thank you so much and, for having me. This um, was great. I'll link everything uh, on the chat on the, um, the text here so you can uh, – access her website and hopefully call and make an appointment and learn more. Um, Thank you. Coming up, we have our, we just launched our Valentine's Day guide. So we have all kinds of local events that are happening. Valentine's Day is like really evolved over the years. And I kind of like where it's, 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 where it's come, where it's kind of not so much focused on just the the partner in your life, which is great, but also like kind of the season of love. So Galentine's Day events, there's lots of cool things um, that you can do with your kids to show them that you know, love them and care about them and, um, and you know, can spend uh, like a family day date, right, of all kinds of activities. So we have really cool um, uh, local events that are happening and then also activity ideas. So if you wanted to do like indoor mini golf and then maybe go get pizza at a great place. So we have uh, lots of family-friendly restaurant ideas in there. And then also things for date night too, adult-only events um, and things to do with your friends. So check that out. Uh, we also are launching our newborn and littles guide soon. So uh, mommy and me activities, if you've just become a mom or a mom again, um, uh, different resources in the community, doulas, night nannies, um, classes, just different things that are um, available to you at that stage of motherhood. Um, and then, uh, like I said earlier, we're gonna chat about the summit soon. So um, stay tuned for that. And there is lots of information about the summit. Now we have a preview of our um, lineup of speakers, panelists, vendors, um, networking opportunities and more. Um, this is not just for the mompreneur. This is not just for the working professional. If you are home and um, you know looking to re-enter the workforce or maybe enter the workforce for the first time and really don't know where to start, um, we are going to have resources available for um, for every mom in our community. So really excited about this and stay tuned for more information. That's Thursday, April 11th um, here at Bellworks because this is basically where I live. <laughs> um, and thank you again. All right, guys, see you soon.